Sweet. It is six o'clock on the money. And I want to I wanna respect everybody's time. And so thankful to see all of you here this evening. It is uh, really good to be sitting here with you guys on a Tuesday, getting ready to go through the book of Philippians. And I'm looking out and I see there's a ton of Bibles and I love it because that's what this is, a Bible study. Um, if you have it on your phone or you, have, you brought it in person, that's great. I gave a little handout to you guys and I put a little, little title for this evening called Transformation Tuesday. That's what this is, Transformation Tuesday. We want, we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and that renewing comes by the Word of God. My theology professor in college told me something that stuck with me for years. And he said, all theology without autobiography is nothing. Doesn't mean anything. Theology just means the study of God and trying to understand God. But as you study God and study about God, if you're not applying that to your life, it means nothing. And so I kind of mixed it up here. Got a little quote there for you from yours truly. All the study of God's word must produce autobiography or we miss the point of the living word. All study of God's word must produce autobiography. What I mean by autobiography is there has to be some kind of attachment to that word into your life where that word is taking root and it's living inside of you in shoe leather. Does that make sense? And before we get into the text and get into what we're getting into, I want to let you guys know that there's some brilliant people in this room. And there's some people in here that have been studying the word of God for a long time. And I got much respect for people that have been studying the word longer than I've been alive. I appreciate that. And I'm not up here because I know it all, by any stretch of the imagination. The first thing I want to do is I want to just point to how important God's word is, period. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, All scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or person of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Did you catch that? So what you're holding in your hand, if you, if you brought your Bible with you, what you're holding in your hand is alive. It's what the word says. It's living and it's active. And it's a two-edged sword. Cuts going and cuts coming. And it judges and discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Meaning that it affects your life. It should be affecting your life. This is what I believe about the word, and that's 
that's where, uh, that's where I live, and that's where this study is, is, is foundation is, is that this is the living word of God. It's not a book of suggestions or fables. It's actually the living word of God. All right. So I know we've done Bible studies in this church before, and I know that there's been some amazing people up here teaching, uh, and I've seen some, seen some notes previously, and some amazing, amazing teaching. Appreciate you back there. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, and I appreciate his, his, uh, his candor and just what he brings, what he has brought uh, to, to this, to study in general in this community. Um, the first thing I want to do is just explain the study of the scripture to you really quick. It's this cool word called hermeneutics. Go ahead and say it. It's a really fun word. Hermeneutics. It's the study of the general principles of biblical interpretation. Although in more recent years, it's gone into the areas of philosophy and, and psychology. But originally, it was the study of the general principles of biblical interpretation. And the primary purpose is to discover the truths and the values of the Bible which is seen as the receptacle of divine revelation. Now, I'm giving you, this is, these aren't my words. I don't use receptacle very often. Um, so I'm giving you a definition. Now my wife's laughing at me. That's great. Uh, that's why I bring her along. She keeps me humble. Uh, which is seen as a receptacle of divine revelation. Four major types of hermeneutics have emerged. The literal Interpretation, which is asserting that the text is interpreted according to the plain meaning. Then there's the moral, seeking to establish the principles from which the ethical lessons may be drawn. Then there's allegorical, meaning in it's interpreting narratives in the scripture as having a level of reference beyond the explicit. And then there's, and this one's hard to say, so bear with me. Oh, I'm sorry, there's, uh, there's literal, then there's the moral, then there's the allegorical. The last one is anagogical. That's how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it there. Maybe Blake can help me with that word. Um, beyond, so that one is, is actually a mystical meaning, that last one, anagogical. Seeks to explain biblical events as they relate to the life to come. So there's this, this, analog, this, this um, analogy that they're looking in the past or even in the future. Uh, but more recently, like I said, the word has become to refer to all deep reading and literary philosophical texts. We will be applying the literal, the historical, and the grammatical study here. That's what we'll be doing. Um, We'll seek to understand the word of God for our own lives as we discover the word in its context of who it was written by, who it was written to, when it was written, and in searching the original languages, we'll derive meaning and revelation for our lives by applying these truths. That's our goal, okay? So who's here on Sunday? Everybody, okay. So you guys got to hear a little bit about the church in Philippi. The Apostle Paul, we're going to jump into it now. The Apostle Paul wrote this book in AD 62. He planted the church in Philippi in about AD 50. They say 51, 52, and right in that ballpark. They usually give you a two-year kind of, they, they never give you an exact, but we're saying 
They're saying that he wrote it from Rome during his second imprisonment in AD 62 when he was under house arrest. He was able to have friends come and see him and he penned other books there as well. Paul's first convert to this church was a woman named Lydia. And he found her by the river because it was Paul's custom when he went into a city, he would go and he would find a synagogue and he would go in there and, and reason with the Jews in order to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah. There was no synagogue in Philippi. And so he's like, well, the Jews, typically, if there's no synagogue in the city, they would be down by a river somewhere outside of the city during prayer. And so they'd be separating themselves. So he went down to the river and he found Lydia, a God-fearing woman. And he preached the gospel to her. She got saved. You can read that in actually Acts chapter 16, verse 14. So the theme, as we look at this, um, actually, uh, the, the, the global message of Philippians is really this, because of what Christ has done, believers worldwide, worldwide are invited into the practice of joyful self-giving that's marked by Christ's own life. Now, this is the message of the Philippians for the church. Now, as we look at the theme of this book, the theme of it really foundationally, no matter which direction you look, if you've got a study Bible or not, they're going to tell you it's encouragement. And it's an encouragement to live out your life as a citizen of a heavenly colony with joy. Joy is a huge foundation to this book. It comes up 16 times. Okay, and the great contribution to the salvation history is in chapter 2, verses 6 and 1. This is actually a great hymn of Christ, and it's, it's really the centerpiece of this book, and it has this extremely high Christology, meaning it has this high view of who Christ is and gives you this very, very just, it's incredible. And we'll get to that in a, in a couple weeks, and I encourage you to read it. Um, you could read this entire book, I did it today, in 14 minutes. I timed myself, read through the whole thing. Um, I will be reading mainly in, from the ESV as we're going through this because it's more of, it's a word-for-word -word translation as much as it can be, and that's really, really good for study. Um, all right, we're going to jump into chapter one. You guys ready? Any questions about what I just said? So I, wanna, I don't want this just to be just all this information up front, although it is information. No? Okay. All right. Chapter 1, verses, and we're only going to do six verses today, just so you know. And um, I've kind of broken this up, at least the first chapter, I've broken it up into about four weeks, three, three weeks. So we're going we're gonna to move kind of slow through this. We're not going to be moving super fast. So I, I want to I be able to, for us to slow down digest what it is that, that we're actually hearing and not just blow through it. Because you can read through this, like I said, in 13 and a half minutes on your own time, um, which is a really good practice to just actually read this on, on a daily basis as we're meeting each week or that, that Tuesday, next Tuesday, just read, read it on your lunch break. Just read the whole thing. And we'll come in and we'll go through the verses. All right, verse one, chapter one. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, 
with the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That is a good word. That is a good word. So we look at it, we see that Paul and Timothy are both spoken about right there. Paul's writing the letter. This is a traditional Greek introduction. You guys remember uh, being a kid and learning that you were supposed to write your name on top of your paper and your date. Anybody remember that? Yeah. Okay, that's what this is. That's what Paul's, Paul's doing. He's, he's doing what his teacher taught him. He's writing his name and who, who, who else is with him. He's got Paul and Timothy. They're together in, in, this, in this instance. Who's he writing to? The saints in Christ who are in Philippi. He mentions overseers and deacons. Now that word overseers can be translated to bishops. Deacons can also be translated as overseers, people that were in the church and they were taking care of certain things. This, this lends itself to uh, a very early structure within the church of leadership. People that Paul trusted that were in the church. It wasn't just a bunch of people getting together you know, and at this point when Paul wrote this letter, the church was about 10 years old. So it could have had a large number of people. We, they don't know how many people uh, were there at this time. There's no, but for 600 years until the great earthquake in Philippi, there was a major church there, one dedicated to Paul. The fresco is still there. You can visit it today. I wish I could have had some pictures of it, but maybe next time. Um, of It was a church completely dedicated to St. Paul. It was called St. Paul's Church, and the fresco has a, this picture of Paul himself. And so this, this place was, um, had, a lot, had a lot of people, and it had a, a solid, solid Christian foundation. So you got, he's writing it to the people, he's writing it to the overseers and the deacons, means everybody, leaders, pastors, teachers, just the people that are coming to church on Sunday. But he uses a word, up top here where he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. That Greek word is doulos, which literally translates slave. We like to make it a little nice and just say servant. That sounds a little bit better. Or bond servant, you see it come up like that as well. But really the true, na the true meaning of it is slave. You are, he is Paul is, is making a, a declaration. He's like, I'm a slave of Christ. What do you guys, so here's, here's what we're going to do. Because I don't, when I've been a part of Bible studies and, and we start going through the scripture and uh, the thing that makes me cringe the most is when someone says, well, what does that mean to you? It makes me cringe. Why? Because 
what, what can happen in that instance is that these, the, the, you can actually get things out of context and you start imposing things upon the Bible that aren't there. Now, after we go through the context and we understand who's writing it, who's, who's it being written to, what's the language teaching you, and what's being explicitly said, once you understand those things, then I believe it's okay to go, okay, that's what it's saying to me. So when you hear Paul say, servant of Christ, doulos, I'm a slave of Jesus, how does that strike you? We're gonna make we're gonna we're gonna interact now. This is time. <clears throat> um, do you think that? Just think. Just take that for a second. Do you think that if God showed up while you were on your way to go beat up some of His kids and knocked you off your horse or knocked you out of your car and blinded you and said, "You're gonna go do this." Would you call that voluntary? But whether or not it's voluntary, I would, I would question that personally. Because when you come into contact with God himself that close, and he says, I formed you, I made you for a purpose, and this is what you're going to do, that's the most real experience he's ever had spiritually in his entire life. At that point, he really doesn't have a choice. I, I don't think I would, I would live in a place where I'd go, you know what, God, let me think about that for a second. There's no, there's no way. For me personally, I know if, if that happened to me, <clears throat> there would be no way that I can go, yeah, let me think about that. So I understand what you're saying by the, by, by the love affair with God and, 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 this, and not, not, not feeling forced and a bond servant. But man... He was, uh, we'll call it pressed. He was pressed into service. <laughs> and he, <clears throat> excuse me, and in, I think it's Corinthians, he talks about Christ compels us or the love of Christ compels us. And I tell you what, Paul has been, compe- has been compelled. He's very much been compelled. I'll just say one quick word and I think it kind of, it can kind of, I feel like it'll go into what you're wanting to it to mean too and it's like because you asked the question how does it strike yeah. you I, yeah. uh, how oh, I hear that and how it's a striking to me is is when Christ becomes our life he becomes our breath mm-hmm. our life source and breathing is a part of life I I don't Right. voluntarily breathe it becomes involuntary right and when he's our life and we are he is our everything i involuntarily like i i have really there's no option b there's no plan b there's you know right. i have to choose to follow him that's right and yes do i get a choice absolutely and stephen mm-hmm. spoke to the, the the gravity of choosing not to and that's, that's a real thing because that's why it is so just heartbreaking to God first and foremost, but to even others mm-hmm. in, our, in our being. So I, I think it's more in the, in the lines of like, well, yeah, as I live and breathe, I follow Christ. And mm-hmm. I do it because he is my life and breath. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. 
That's beautiful. And I think in the context of where we're, of where we're at in this, in this book and understanding who's writing it, Paul is, is in prison in this moment. He is a prisoner of war in his own mind. Yes, he, you know, he, he got knocked off his horse and got interrupted in the middle of his life by his God and, and absolutely turned it upside down. But he began to seek Jesus, understand Jesus, and went to pursuing Jesus with his entire life to the point of turning the world upside down and people saying, yeah, you got to stop preaching that stuff or we're going to put you in jail. Oh, too bad. I'll, I'll go to jail. And so he's sitting in, he's sitting in prison and he is living this life. I am, I am, I am a slave of Christ. I am a, and you could say bond servant. I'm in chains essentially because of Christ. I'm in chains for Christ. And we talked about it this, this Sunday. He's like, you know, I, I, I'm laying hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. I'm pressing on towards the upward call of God in Christ, right? And, and he's saying all that in the context of being in chains. He does not have the authority to get up and leave. That time period, slavery was across, across the globe. It was not just a common thing that was for the, for the Middle East or for Europe. It was, it was across the globe. Humans have been enslaving humans for thousands of years. Now, the, the, the Romans had that ability that, that she was talking about over there where they could work their way out of slavery and become a freed person. And many, and many people would actually achieve that. It was a huge achievement. Um, and then sometimes people that were slaves could actually become family members officially into someone's family because they loved their family so much. Sometimes it was because they were, they were having kids and their slave owners owned their kids and their wife and they're like, I can't leave. I gotta, you know, this is my family. So they had to really stick it out. Um, yeah. Can you maybe talk for a minute about why Paul, one, why would he include Timothy on this? And then the second part of my question or thought is why, unlike in some of his other letters, he does not use his title of apostle or use really um, like show his authority. He kind of more speaks to their authority as the elders and deacons. What, what about Philippians would cause him to do that, or the church at Philippi? If sure. You, if you, it, you know. it is noted that he does not really have any kind of like rebuke for them, other than to, in, in chapter 3, watch out for the mutilators, watch out for the dogs you know, that he refers to, um, referring to Judaism and Judaizers, people that are quote-unquote Christians but haven't c- completely left Judaism, and they're trying to drag that in there. Why Timothy is there, I've, I honestly could not, I could not really give you any kind of definitive answer other than that. Well, I think you just, you just answered it. Um, in a way, but as yeah. a, It's more of a encouraging letter, brother to yes. brother, as opposed to, hey, I'm your, I'm your big brother that you need some correction, and yep. I'm an apostle, so you need to listen to me. Right. So and, more, it's more of a lateral move. Mm-hmm. And, I, and with Timothy being there with him, I think he was trying to give him some, I mean, some screen time, so to speak, because he was sending Timothy to the other churches to encourage them to, you know, knock down some rebellions where people weren't believing correct things, like when he sent Timothy to, I believe it was Ephesus and some other places. He put, put Timothy in there, I think, because of that. And 
I think Paul was about lifting people up and, 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 and re, trying to reproduce himself in a, in a, in a way, you know? Um, all right, so we're gonna move on to, that was a good one. That was only one verse. That was only one verse, guys. This is, it's so deep. So Paul's in chains. He's calling himself a slave, bondservant, doulos of Christ. He's come, you could hear that he's come to grips with where he's at. He knows where he's at, and he knows, he knows what's going on. He knows that it may not go well for him, but he's actually chosen in the midst of this to do something very important, pray, extremely important. Verse two and three, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, sorry, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There's something huge we can learn from this in this, in this moment by understanding the context of where he's at, what he's choosing to do. He's not choosing to, like, SOS, come get me, you know, find some way to get me out of here. Um, there's, there's, there's no, you don't see any of that here. There is just trusting in God. I'm praying every day, and I'm praying for you. That's, that's incredible. He's, he's completely other-focused in, 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 in the beginning of this, in, 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 his, in his prayer life. He's thinking about other people. But he makes, a, he makes a pretty cool distinction in verse five. He says, because I'm praying for you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. As we go forward in the book, you're gonna see towards the end that the, the church in, uh, in Philippi actually helped Paul in his imprisonment. They actually sent him gifts. They sent him uh, uh, presents or whatever. Could have been clothes, could have been food, could have been um, a, a little bit of money. Who knows? Nobody knows. But he says, I've received, I received your gifts, right? And... So he's, he's feeling, he's feeling the, the love. He's feeling the family love. He's feeling the partnership of the gospel. He's like, you guys believe in me. Because there was people, when Paul went to prison, there was people that abandoned him. And he, and he talks about it in, in this book. And, we'll, and we'll, we'll get to that. But the church in Philippi did not. They, they stayed strong. They were helping him however they could. They even sent one of their own people, and we're going to get into, we're, we're going to meet him and, um, here shortly. Verse 6, this is the, this is the, this is the meat of, of it, really, to me. It says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So you got like a three-step, something like a three-step going on there. You've got a beginning. You've got a process, a working. And you have a completion. The completion, he says there, is at the day of Jesus Christ. This is, this is, this is alluding to the, his second coming the day of Christ Jesus, the day of the Lord. That there is, 
You and I, and Paul included in this, he's saying, I'm sure of this. As he's sitting in prison, I am sure, 100%, the, the God that began a work in you is going to complete it all the way up, right up to the day of Christ Jesus. I mean, when Jesus comes back, completion. You will, you will have completion. So I want to share just a little bit of a, um, just a little bit of my, my own personal uh, devotion on this verse, in particular, verse six, with you, and we can talk a little more, a little bit more about it. So there's a beginning and there's an end, or a completion to all things, and from beginning to end, God oversees them. He sets it in motion. He sustains it by his power and authority. But what is it? The it is all that he created. Nothing moves or breathes without his knowing or allowing it. And specifically, his working of his salvation in Christ into our lives is his good work. Paul is sure of this, that God finishes what he starts, and what God starts is good. And what he finishes is good. And so the process in between must be good. Even though we must look for the good in the midst of it. Anybody looking for the good in the midst of process? I think this is what the book of Philippians is all about. You're going you're gonna to hear a lot of verses, and, you, and if you've got a study Bible, and if you've, you've studied any of this, there, there's a lot of people that say, this verse really takes, takes this, is, this is what Philippians is all about. This verse is what Philippians is all about. You get that in every book of the Bible. For me, there, there's several verses that kind of like hit home. Sunday, to live is Christ and to die is gain, is, is to me what, what, this, what this is all about. But in the work of salvation in your life, in the work of Jesus in your life, this, this, this verse here, verse six, is you're being told that God has started something in you. If you have faith in Jesus, he started something in you. And he is going to complete it, which also means there's a, there's, a, there's a walk and a process that you're going through. As we look at the book of Philippians or this verse, I believe Paul's rejoicing in this. He's rejoicing in the process, even though he doesn't quite understand. I don't know about you guys, but if I was like knocked off my horse and like blinded, and then I received my sight miraculously in this God, I, I met him, and, and, and then all of a sudden, within a few years, 10, 12 years, I'm in prison? I'd be like, are you sure? Kind of like John the Baptist talking to Jesus, like, are you sure you're the one? Because I'm like rotten in prison right now. I don't get this. He's sure of it for their lives. So he's got to be sure of it for his own life. And he's asking us right now to be sure of it for our lives. 
We're going to learn what it, what it means to rejoice in our lives in the midst of trial and suffering. That's the backdrop of, 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 this, of this book. It's a prison epistle is what they call it. There's someone on the, on the other side of this that isn't in the best of place. Now, Paul isn't in the Mamertine prison. It's not the third trip to prison where he's on his way to go home to be with Jesus. He's on house arrest, but he's still in chains. He's still got to ask dude if he can go to the bathroom. And it's just, it's, anybody ever had to do that before? Only a lucky few in here. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's not a fun experience to be locked up for anything, unless you deserve it. <laughs> uh, see, I got a couple notes in here I wanted to share with you as I was reading through this. And um, the good that God starts in your life will produce suffering. Let me say that again. The good that God starts in your life will produce suffering. So that's, what, that's what pruning is. <laughs> One of Jesus's yes, sir. keystone teachings is you're going to be pruned. Just not if, it's when. And this is the core part of your walk is pruning. It's, I mean... It's, it's just what it is. Amen. Yeah, that process of becoming like Christ. We're going to get into that more in the weeks to come that you and I, as followers of Jesus, are called to become like Christ. And that's what Paul actually is, is asking the Philippians to do is to consider Christ's life and then to consider his life as he follows Christ. That's a big consider. Wait, Paul, you, you go all over the place. You teach, you preach, you heal people, you plant churches. Is that what I'm supposed to do? Some people are. I'm not saying that every person in here needs to become an Apostle Paul or a Mother Teresa. That's not what, this, that's not what, what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that he has a work in your life specifically. And that work that he started is good. And it's always going to be good, even in the midst of the trials and the temptations that come your way. As long as you run to him, as long as you acknowledge him in that process, well, Hand in the back, bearded, yeah, bearded yeah. guy. <laughs> Part of that, too, the reason you can rejoice is because, and Paul says it very clearly here, because he's the one who's beginning the work, yes. and he is going to bring, it's all rooted in him. As soon yes. as you make it about yourself, that's, that's when you get off track. That's, yes. when you, that's when the troubles and the tribulations become, um, not difficult, they're going to be difficult, but when they're, they're, they're oppressive, Right. Is Absolutely. when you make it about yourself as opposed or in the Christian walk, when you make your Christian walk your Christian walk as opposed to the walk or as opposed to him doing the work in you. It yep. is 100% his work in you 
not the other way around. Amen. Like, and you're going to see in the book of Philippians that there's a verse in there, and I believe it's in chapter 4. It says, it's God who works in you both to will and to do according to your good pleasure. No. To his good pleasure. So there's this working that God is doing in your life. It's a good work. He's going to complete it, and it's actually going to please him. I don't know about you guys. I, I, I rest in that. I've, I've learned to, I'll say that, I've learned to rest in that, in that truth. That God, oh, go ahead. It's 2.13. 2.13? Thank you. It's not chapter 4. It's 2.13. So we're closer to it than we thought we were. Yes, George. Verse 5 is the foundation of why I'm here. Okay. It was a calling on my life. I invited Jesus into my life. Amen. I ran from him three times, went to prison three times. Every time I went to prison, what do you do when you're bored? You read. Well, <clears throat> I studied the Bible. All those years I was locked up all three times. Amen. Yeah, third time was a charm. I got tired. Now I'm here now because he will finish what he starts. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Yeah. I love to hear that. I love to hear that. So I just want to encourage us in our last few moments to be sure in your heart, like Paul, commit with joy in your heart to the process of the Holy Spirit making you more like Christ. Believing that that work that he did, that he started in you, is going to be completed. And that wherever you're at in the process of that completion, he knows it. He knows right where you're at. And he still likes you. Hello? Thank you. Thank you for correcting me. I appreciate that. It, it took me a long time to, to let Jesus love me. I'm okay if, if God likes me. But to love me, it took me, a long, took me a long time. I alluded to it a little bit where he, was, where he talks about that he's going to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. That there, when Jesus comes back, it's the consummation of all things. That Jesus is returning to earth. In a body. That's what we believe. That's what this church believes. That's what mainline Protestants believe. That Jesus is coming back in the flesh. And when he does, Scripture says that we don't know what we'll be like, but we'll be like him. We'll have this new resurrected body of some kind. And when he was resurrected, he did some cool stuff like walking through walls and appearing in, in certain places. Did, was that? And he still ate too, which is really, I'm really cool. I'm really stoked on that. Yes, we get to enjoy some food somehow, some way. That's going to be pretty cool. But Jesus is coming back, and there is, that's, that's the, the, the complete completion. Because some of us, I mean, my dad used to tell me all the time, he's like, man, he's like, I hope I don't die before Jesus comes back. I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. He's like, I just want to see it, like with my own eyes and be alive and see it, you know. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. But now he's in heaven with the Lord, so he gets to come back with him. But so he's, so, so my pops, his, his, his race is complete. Right? That, that work that Christ started in him, 
Christ completed it, but there's a completion that is coming in its fullness in the day of Christ Jesus when he comes back. And that fullness is you and I rising from the dead with him and becoming like him forever. Even if his plan involves a beheading, as in Paul's case, right. or an upside-down cross, like Peter's case, yes. or burned at the stake, like all the saints in the first and second century, yes. the plan's still on. Yes. The plan hasn't you know, gone awry. It's still this, it's, there's, yeah, there's no plan B. It's not that's a plan not, B. That's not plan B. Right, that's not plan B. That's a, that's a, that's a, that is a, that is a truth that we stand upon, where we're standing right now declaring this word, we're standing upon really the shoulders of martyrs, people who gave their life for the faith. That was one of the things that brought me to faith um, was this understanding that the 11 disciples all went to their death declaring that they saw Jesus do what he did and they couldn't deny him. And they couldn't deny that he was not God because they saw him heal. They saw him die. They saw him rise from the dead. And I'm like, there's something to this. But why did they do it so long ago? Why didn't Jesus just wait until now and do it on five o'clock news? Rise from the dead. I think we still wouldn't believe. So I want to encourage you to rest in the process of God's work for your life. Rest in it because guess what, guys? You cannot become right now in an instant by praying a quick prayer what God is going to make you into over a lifetime. You know how hard it was for me to get that? Maybe some of you got that right away, but man, it took me a long time to get that. Like, I need to be at peace with God's pace in my life. You're going to hear me say that a lot. It's something that I have to keep in front of my brain. Be at peace with God's pace in your life. What does that, what does that mean? That means you're gonna rejoice with those who rejoice. You're gonna have a heart that beats for others like Christ. And I'm sure of this, Paul is sure of it, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Good stuff. Yeah, before we pray, I was thinking of something that, and I think it has something to do with it. In, in the, uh, I love this. Thank you, Adam, so much. And I love that you're just bringing your heart and bringing the word, your word in your heart. And it's rich and deep and good. So thank you for, for all that. And, um, you know, I knew a guy, an acquaintance that was really tired in life and couldn't figure out how to take care of himself any longer. So he chose to steal a mail truck so that he could get three squares and a cot oh for the rest of his life. <clears throat> and he got what he wanted. <clears throat> and... I know that's, that's not this case, this prison life that, that Paul was, mm. you know, for a lot of his life. It, it's not like our prison life. It, 
is that you you didn't get three squares in a cot. You got chains and figured it out. That's why he needed that support, that help from other people. He, he didn't, they didn't feed him. You had to find out how to feed yourself or just lay there and rot. And uh, so that what we get from that, I think, is this, this beautiful picture of this man that is saying, I'm his through this. And, and I love the encouragement that he gives us in the word that is so grateful for those that did help and did believe and did support. And I think that's what we are as the body of Christ. We are that together, but we are all, once you've said yes to Jesus, you've become his. And we need each other, but we are completely dependent on him for our next breath, for our next morsel, for the rest that I love that you spoke on on Sunday. So, so it's God who starts, it's God who works, it's God who completes. So who's the one that, that we are called to focus on in the midst of trial? Learning from Paul in this moment, going through something, sitting in chains and saying, God started something good. I know that he did. He's going to do it in me, but in that moment, he's like, I know he's going to do it in you. Could you imagine that? Sitting in chains and saying, telling another group of people, I know God's going to do something good in you. He was full of the spirit of Christ. And that's the spirit that we have. And that's the spirit we get to engage. That's the spirit that we get to live with. And he encourages the, the, the church in Philippi to do that, to live like Christ. And we're going to learn more about what that means. So, Thank you. Yep. Appreciate it. Yep. Oh, Father God, we are so grateful. We come to you. We are thankful that you've called us, you've chosen us, you've saved us, you're saving us, and you will save us. And you've started this wonderful work of salvation in our lives. And, and in the name of Jesus, by the mighty power of your spirit, we submit, we concede to the work that you're doing. We, we surrender to you and say, Jesus, do your best in me. Do your best in me. We give you all authority over our lives to not just do the work, but finish it. So in Jesus' name, we thank you. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for this body of believers. That if I believe if there was a letter written to us, there would be some similarities here that, we could, that you would say, thanks for being there for me when I needed you most. Thank you, Jesus, that you've compelled us to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.